this morning. Uh, is, and like we said, the video said at the end there is when we're talking about a church that was given over to the grace of God and they were pressing into it. When we're looking today uh, at the church at Antioch. Uh, and this is actually going to be a fun day. We're going to get to use uh, our phones later in the, in the message. So if you have your phone, go ahead and get it out. Just have, be ready for it. There will be a time when we'll use it. If you have a smartphone, even if you don't, uh, you can participate in this. So just be ready for that. That will be towards the end. Um, but before we really get to the text, I just want to ask a question. It's a little, a little silly, but it's something that I think happens quite often. At least it does with me. Uh, have you ever done something? I mean, it's like totally awesome. What you just did was the most cool thing in your mind that you've ever done. And then you look up and you look around and like nobody was watching. <laughs> Has that been, happened to you before? Or maybe, you know, you're like me and you do something totally lame and not cool. And you look up and then like everybody's watching. And you're like, oh, like what's happening? And when you do that, something that's really cool and no one sees it, you go to tell someone and like, yeah, right, you did that. I'll believe that when I see it. Well, I'm like, well, goodness, you should have looked a few seconds ago and you would have seen it. It feels like that happens all the time to me. Uh, and I think it happens a lot between husband and wife. I think it's just because they spend so much time together. And, and not to name names, but maybe one uh, claims that she was the first one to get uh, our baby girl to smile and it not just be because uh, she was pooping in a room, like, by herself. Mm, I don't know if that happened or not. Or, not to, again, not to name names, maybe you could be um, like one who... Something's falling, and, you, and he utilizes his cat-like reflexes, and he catches it at the last minute, right before it falls, and it would have been a catastrophic, I mean, day running. I mean, it would have just messed up the entire day. Would have got, things would have got everywhere. The phone would have broke. The drink would have spilled, whatever it is. But because of one man's heroism, it was stopped. But he looks up, and there's no one there to see what just happened that was totally cool. And he's like, oh, man, that's, that's a bummer. But... Or you can also be like a man who sees uh, his wife do something pretty cool and then just pretend not to, just to bug her. Um, maybe that, that's you as well. Uh, but those are silly questions. But we all kind of had that feeling. We're like, man, this is, this is pretty cool. And people go, I don't know if that happened or not. Oh, that's a bummer. It would have been, been cool if you would have believed, believed what I said. And we're going to be looking at a church today to kind of transition a little bit into what we're going to be talking about is that God was doing some pretty amazing and awesome things at the church of Antioch. But the leaders in Jerusalem weren't there to see it. And they didn't believe it at first. So they had to send somebody to investigate. And that's where our story is going to pick up in Acts 11, 19 uh, through 30. And then we're going to jump ahead to Acts 13, verses 1 through 4. It's going to be on your screens and handout and your Bibles. So if you would, just read along with me. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now the Hellenists are Greek-speaking Jews. They were, they were Jews who left Palestine. They were in the dispersion, and then they, they got mixed in with the Greek culture. They took on aspects of uh, the, the Greek language and its culture and mixed it with Judaism. Uh, and the Palestinian Jews looked at them as a little bit less orthodox. They didn't really look onto, on them with, with favor. They wouldn't have been high up in the eyes of like the Pharisees uh, or the Sanhedrin. But that's who they went and they targeted. And, and it says, the, the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. 
the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. It's the investigation that we were talking about. And when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, which, by the way, is not an easy task in first century Rome. It's not like you call him up and say, hey, man, where you at? Like, let me go pick you up. He had to go diligently search for, for Saul or Paul and find him. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it says, for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now jumping ahead to chapter 13. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So Church of Antioch is a church that God used, one church that God used in a mighty way to impact both this community of Antioch and the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your text that you've given us. Thank you for your word. Pray that you would use it to speak into our lives today. Pray that this time would be about you. This would not be about me or anyone else in any way. But this would be about you and for your glory. Pray that you would use your word to convict our hearts to encourage us, to, to move us to obedience. And Lord, I pray that we would be, as a church, pressing into your grace day by day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I want to get us to this first point and this basic idea, which kind of is, sums up what the, the sermon is about today. And it's this point right here, is that God can use Meadowbrook to accomplish his purposes all around the globe if we are filled with and are pressing into his grace. God can use Meadowbrook, this church, this one church in Gadsden, Alabama, to fulfill his purposes both in Gadsden and Alabama, the United States, and all around the world if we are filled with and are pressing into his grace. Antioch was, a, was an odd city for, for this movement of God that we, reading, we read about uh, to take place. Antioch's a city is about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. If this is a map of the New Testament world, you can see where Jerusalem is down there at the bottom. And then Antioch, if you go straight north, there it is right there, about 300 miles. Uh, and, and Antioch is just such an unlikely place for a movement of God to begin. The, the, Jews in, uh, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, they had to send Barnabas to check, check it out. Because the believers that were there, it wasn't like they were the most bold, they were fleeing the persecution that Saul did with Stephen. They were, uh, they were vastly immoral in Antioch. There was temple prostitutes. Antioch was a big hub uh, in the Roman Empire for business, so there was a center of, of 
intellectual businessmen that would do business there and, and commit or immorality there. Um, they targeted the people, their mission targeted the less orthodox Hellenists when no one else would, and their leadership was incredibly diverse, both racially and culturally. So when the church in Jerusalem heard about this, they sent Barnabas on a 300-mile journey from Jerusalem to Antioch to check it out. Because nothing that was happening there made sense to natural man. Nothing made sense. It was like, that's not supposed to happen. What God was doing in Antioch wasn't supposed to happen. But we don't, we don't operate on the power of man. We operate with the power of God, and nothing is impossible for God. Because God was at work there. So they, when they sent Barnabas and he arrived, he, he saw the grace of God. That's what the text says. He saw the grace of God. With his eyes, he could see the effects of God's grace. And I want you to, I want you to understand this. Because he was so amazed that he went and found Paul and said, Hey man, you got to get to Antioch. God is doing awesome things through this church at Antioch. So he found him, brings him there, because... This is where I want us to get to, is that the location of Antioch, the size of the church at Antioch, the cultural barriers that existed in the congregation, the surrounding sinfulness of the community, and the lack of a religious background at the church at Antioch were not barriers that the grace of God could not easily overcome. It's like a helicopter or something. Um, and I want us to get that in our minds today, too. Is that the location of Meadowbrook, the size of Meadowbrook, the cultural barriers that exist within our congregation, the, uh, the differences between rich and poor or black and white or any other barrier that you could think of, uh, the surrounding sinfulness in our community, and there it's there, and the lack of religious background some of us may have. Maybe we've been following Christ for a little bit, some for a long time. All of these are not barriers that could prevent God from working through us. The grace of God easily overcomes each one of those. The grace of God easily overcomes any barrier or perceived barrier that we might find. So I want to talk about God's grace for a moment. When people typically think of God's grace, their mind immediately goes to their salvation experience. But God's grace does so much more than just justify us from our sins. And to say that is a bold statement because the, the fact that we were on a path for hell and God justified us and declared us righteous and made us right with him, and now we're going to heaven, is amazing. And to say that God's grace does so much more than that is incredible. But God's grace does so much more than that. And it is incredible. Because God's grace justifies us, it saves us. But God's grace also keeps us saved. God's grace trains us in righteousness. If it wasn't for, for God's grace working in us, we would not remain faithful. We would not grow in righteousness. We would not be sanctified. We would not grow in Christ-likeness if it wasn't for God's grace. God's grace has yet to be fully revealed. Right now, what we know about God's grace is just a small part of, of what God's grace will be revealed to us one day when he returns and we receive our resurrected bodies and we reign with him forever and ever. That's when we're going to get to see the fullness of God's grace. And it's going to be incredible. Oh, it's going to be so Great. God's grace, that's a great thing. The grace that you've experienced from God, how great it is that we sing about, it's yet to be fully revealed. We only know in part. That should be very encouraging to you guys because it is to me. So how do we interact with God's grace? We, well, one, we proclaim God's grace. 
Our, our message is a message of grace. It's a, it's a gift. It's a free gift to, to those who hear it. We stand in God's grace when, when the uh, attacks from the enemy come. When the, the, the trials in this world come, we stand firm in God's grace. Second Peter says we grow in God's grace. We grow in our knowledge of it, in, in the application of it, in the sharing of it. We grow in His grace. And then First Peter says we serve out of God's grace. God has graciously gifted us with specific talents and abilities, some spiritual gifts through the Holy Spirit, some that we were born with, that He has gifted us with by His grace that we use to serve one another. Jesus says in John 15 that apart from Him, we can do nothing. So I want us to, to think through this, this prayer that a, a pastor has, has wrote, and it's kind of had an impact on my life. Uh, I just want to just read it to you and just walk through it for a second. His prayer goes like this. It says, In Christ, there is nothing, God, I could do to make you love me more. God, there's nothing I have done that makes you love me less. God, you are all I need today for everlasting joy. God, as you have been to me, so I will be to others. As I pray, God, I'll measure your compassion by the cross and your power by the resurrection. Those words have had great power in my life and just drawing me to just the realization of what God's grace is and how it gets applied to my life. Because maybe you're like me. And you're like, God, look at what I did for you. Do you love me more? Have I earned more of your love? Maybe you struggle with that sometimes, like I do. And God looks at you and goes, child, there's nothing you could do to make me love you anymore. You already have all of my love. And it's infinite. Or maybe you've also been like me, and you go, God, there's no way that you could love, love me. You saw what I did yesterday. You saw what I did this morning. There's no way that you could love me. He says, in Christ, there's nothing that you've done that will cause me to, to make you love, you love you any less. Maybe you struggle with finding joy in life. And God says, come to me. I'm all you need for everlasting joy. That's grace. And he shows us grace to us so freely that he goes, hey, as, I've, as, you've been to, as I have been to you, God says, be like that to others. The grace I have shown you, show to others. Forgive others. Love others. Serve others. And then if you struggle with, man, is God really compassionate? As you're praying, look to the cross. When you're struggling to feel God's compassion in your life, look to what he did for you on the cross. And then you wonder, well, God, do you have the, is it possible for me to break this sin addiction? Is it possible for this to happen, this restoration to happen? Is it, is, it, is, is, it, is it possible for you to do that in my life? Look at the power that God demonstrated in the resurrection. Because the spirit that raised God from the dead lives within us. God can do all things. And he does it out of the gracious nature of who he is. So I want us to bring this line, our last point. This is this, is if we are filled with and are pressing into God's grace, it will be clearly seen. So if we are filled with and we are pressing into God's grace as a church, it will be clearly seen. I want us to think through the text in Acts 11. Both Barnabas and the surrounding community 
easily saw the effects of a church that was pressing into God's grace. It was so clear to the the people, uh, to Barnabas and to the people in the community. Listen to what John MacArthur says. He says, The grace of God may be invisible, but its effects are readily seen. Barnabas saw the grace of God. With his eyes, he saw it. He saw the effects of it. The people in Antioch, they saw it as well. Because you know what we see in verse 26? That it's in Antioch that the believers are first called Christians. Which they actually meant as a derogatory term. And there's a lot there that we could get into that we won't get into today. But what it shows me is, is that the people of Antioch, the sinful people of Antioch, looked at the church that was there. And they said, there's something different about these people. They recognized that there was something different about these people. And they meant to attacked them, but what they really did was gave them a name that we would have championed for the next 2,000 years because the grace of God was clearly evident in their lives. Well, how, how was it evident? And this is what that little spider thing in your handout uh, is going to be for. When I was reading the text, I think the Spirit just impressed in my heart that there were 10 ways that the grace of God was being manifested through the ministry at Antioch. And there were probably more, but these are the 10 things that, that stuck out to me. One, they were evangelistic. They preached the Lord Jesus. They were transformed by the grace of God, so they told other people about the, the grace of God. It was that simple. They had lost friends, and they opened their mouths about the gospel. They were purposeful. They weren't just idly going through life together. They weren't just uh, coming together one day of the week and then going in the community and then just coming back and just part of the rhythm. No, they purposed together to be a church. So when they came together, it was for a purpose, and when they left, it was for a purpose, namely to to live out and expand the kingdom of God. Third, they were consistent. It says that they met together for the entire year Paul and Barnabas was there. The regular gathering of the saints is such an important part of the Christian faith. Not because it's just something you check off that you do once a week, but it's, it's a time that God has set up. God has gifted us with the local church. It's a gracious gift to us, and we need to view it that way because it's a time that we come together to encourage one another, to worship God together, to humble ourselves, to let God's Word speak into our lives through the proclamation of God's Word. We get to hold each other accountable, to spur one another on. We get to love each other. God's grace is easily shown and felt from others in the context of biblical community. The people in Antioch, this is the fourth one, they were disciple-makers. They, they taught people about God's word, which is the main ingredient for biblical discipleship. You just can't do discipleship without God's word. You can do mentoring, but biblical discipleship involves taking God's word, studying it with others, imparting that into someone's life, and training them up to, to follow Christ, to obey the commandments that Jesus had, had given us. And they did it with a great many people, too. It wasn't just they did it once. They did it regularly. It was just part of their lives. They were disciple makers. And in February, after our 40 days of spiritual renewal, we're going to be launching discipleship groups. I encourage you to pray about being in one of those. Or if you've been through one of those, leading one of those. I encourage you to begin praying through that because discipleship is so important to the life of the church. Fifth, we see that they were generous. When a need came up in Jerusalem and in Judea, they generously gave to and supported the people who were there. What's funny about that is, is it, it came from Jerusalem. And the, the need came from Jerusalem and Judea. It was a prophesied need. And they go, 
yeah, yeah we'll, we'll help you with whatever you need. And this is the same people that doubted that God was even working through them. But it didn't matter to them because they had recognized how gracious God had been to them. So they were gracious to them and they gave. They gave generously, each according to his own ability. Some gave a lot, some gave a little, little, but they each gave according to their ability and they gave it with a willing and cheerful heart. It wasn't about the amount that they gave. It was the fact that they had, they recognized what God had given them was his and they gave generously because God had been gracious to them. And then we see six, that they were diverse. Listen to the leaders that is in Acts 13. You had Barnabas. He's a Jew, a Levite from the Levite tribe from Cyprus. You have Simeon. Niger, if you see in the footnotes, it means it's the Latin word meaning black or dark. It's probably from the northern coast. He's probably from the northern coast of Africa. You have Lucius, a Cyrenian. Menaean from Jerusalem, a lifelong friend of Herod at that. You had Saul from Tarsus. These group of men, these leaders at the church of Antioch, were about as varied as a group can be. You had some that were rich, and you had some that were poor. You had some that were white, and some that were black. You had Jewish and non-Jewish. You had some who were well-connected, like Manahan, and others who were, who were not so much, like Saul. He was an outcast. They were, they were diverse culturally and racially. Yet God, they were unified under the banner of the Lord, and they moved forward in that diversity, celebrating it, championing it, because that diversity that gives the church, it gave the church at Antioch a platform that was unique and powerful. It, each person had a sphere of influence that was different than the others. So we must think through as a church, Gadsden is a diverse community. This world is a diverse world. If we want to reach a diverse world, if we want to reach a diverse community, we must be diverse as a church. We've, we've heard Randy say that multiple times. I know that to be the case because I copied that from one of his old sermon notes. Seven, we see that the people in Antioch were worshipful. A biblical church is a singing church. It's a clear biblical model in both the Old and New Testament that God's people worship him through song. To not sing is to go against a clear biblical model, and it typically reveals something about the heart. They prayed and fasted together, number eight. It's another clear model in Scripture that intimidates some. It's also modeled in church history. Mighty movements of God are, are typically, if you go through church history and you look at Scripture, are, are typically begun in a season of prayer and fasting. That's pretty cool to think about because our church is in a season of prayer and fasting right now. We're praying every Wednesday night for 15 minutes before the service starts at 6. Once a month, we gather on first Wednesdays to pray together. It's an awesome time. That if you haven't been, I encourage you to come by. And then come January, we're going to enter into a time of spiritual renewal. where We're going to be praying, and, and as a church, we're going to be doing a Daniel fast. A partial fast as we seek the Lord uh, and through this time of spiritual renewal. I ask that you pray about that. Pray about getting involved in that. Participating in that season with us as a church. And then nine, we see that they were obedient. The Spirit said, hey, set aside Paul and Barnabas. So you know what they did? They set aside Paul and Barnabas. They listened to God's word. They did what it said. And they were attentive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And they obeyed him. And then ten, they were ascending church. They sent out their best as missionaries. Meadowbrook is involved all around the world. And we're involved in, among the nations, even in our own community. We're in places like South Sudan, Uganda, Argentina, the Dominican. 
We've got a team that's going to be going out soon, uh, just in a few days, to uh, Uganda. And then after that, not too long after that, there's going to be a team going out to scout among the Roma gypsies. We, we're engaged among the nations. We have people gathering with international students. We had people here on Tuesday eating a dinner with international students, having conversations about just their life, and then hopefully they will lead to some gospel conversations. I know I had one with a guy from Pakistan, a Muslim from an unreached people group. And then we have people who are going to be getting involved in uh, Clarkston with refugees from different countries around the world. We do all that because we firmly believe that God can use Meadowbrook to reach a community that is unreached by the gospel. We firmly believe that God could use us. This small church in Gadsden, Alabama, that could reach a, a, a whole people group for Christ. We believe that that can happen. So we're making steps to make that happen. And I remember, these ten things right here, they're all the result of God's grace working in us. If you do all ten of these, great. In Christ, there's nothing that you can do to make Him love you more. If you need to grow in these things, or maybe you've done a bad job in the past, but you desire to do better, hey, in Christ, there's nothing that you have done that can, that can make Him love you any less. None of us have it all right. None of us have it together completely. Some may look like they do more than others, but ultimately, we all struggle. We're all pressing into God's grace, looking forward, forgetting what lies behind, and striving for what is ahead. Because, but when we come together as a church, as different as we each are, and we collectively press into God's grace, and, and, and we begin to pursue ministry in these areas, there's no telling what God could do through this one church. There's no telling what God could do through the ministry of this one church. Both in our community of Gadsden and around the world. And in the state of Alabama and in the country of the United States. What if Meadowbrook was the church that began a movement of racial reconciliation? That began here in Gadsden. There needs to be one in Gadsden, by the way. That led to one that, that, led to one that affected the whole state of Alabama that then bled into our country. What if God used Meadowbrook for that? What if God used Meadowbrook to reach this country, uh, this people group of, of Shia Muslims in Pakistan? God can do that through the, the ministry of our church if we press into his grace and we fill ourselves with his grace. So remember when I talked about the phone thing? I want to bring those out again. I'm going to have a little quick business meeting. Because the last thing we want is to walk out of here saying, that's pretty cool stuff. Or you may be saying, that was pretty lame stuff. That's fine, don't tell me that. Um, but I want us to have a clear direction of where to start and to go. So this is the first question. In which areas is the grace of God clearly being revealed through the ministry of Meadowbrook? Where do we see God moving? Where do we see God moving in our ministry? Where are we doing, where do we, can we go, man, God, praise God for this ministry at our church. So I want us to t get your phones out, and I want you to text MB Church to 22333. So that's if you, we're going to ask two questions. So text MB Church to 22333. And it, so if you want to answer both questions, you got to do that now. And then you're going to get a response back, and I want you to hit join. And then once you're joined, I want you to answer that first question. Where is God's grace being clearly revealed through the ministry of Meadowbrook? And I want you to text the letter A through J. 
corresponding to the word. So don't text the word, just text the letter, and we're going to get those on the screen, and you're going to see as those are coming in what we as a church are recognizing God is moving in our church. Keep texting them in. We're going, we're going to keep it open for just a few, few more seconds. Technology is pretty cool, isn't it? So two things stick out right there. They're about equal. It's worship and disciple makers. Praise God for that. Praise God that, we, that, that, that God has put in our hearts that disciple making is a priority and that worship is a priority. I want us to share this verse with 1 Thessalonians as Daniel clears the screen and we get ready to ask the second question. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. Just because we think that God's grace is being clearly revealed in those ministries, press further in. Ask that God would do that more and more. Now the second question. In which areas do we need to press further into the grace of God to improve our ministry at Meadowbrook? Where, where are these things, where, is it, where we're just not, we're just not, we're missing it. Where are we missing it? Do we need to be more, do we need to press into God's grace because we need to be more evangelistic? Do we need to be more purposeful? Where, where are we missing it? Text these numbers, text these letters in. Well, I'm going to say that's probably been the one that's been the consensus between the three services is diversity. Another one that came up in the first service was evangelistic. And then ask yourself, where am I missing it? Don't text this in, but just ask yourself, where am I missing it? Where do I need to press into God's grace? Now I want to do something that's a little different here. It might make you uncomfortable. But I'm asking that we have a time of prayer together as a church. You can do that just fine at your seats. God would hear you, and he would, be, he would hear you just the same. But I'm asking that you'd come forward to the platform steps, not because there's something special about here, but because we can pray together, we can bump elbows with one another, keep it, and pray as a church, and press into God's grace as a church. And we can be accountable to one another, because we want this to be something that we move forward in. So ask that if, if you want, if this is something God, you feel like God's leading you to, men, women, families, I'll ask you to come down to the front now. You can stand, you can kneel, however you want to, but I just ask, as a church, that we'd be, we would t- take this calling seriously and we'd pray. One of our lay shepherds is going to come up in an hour. He's going he's to lead us in a prayer in just a second. Um, but as you're coming, 
I just want you to think through that list again and just to press into God's grace. Ask for forgiveness. Ask Him, where, where do you want me to be pressing into? Our church highlighted diversity and evangelism this morning. Press into God's grace. And as Al prays, and just in your spirit, if something just resonates with you, just respond with a yes, Lord. Brothers, by your spirit, by your purpose, thank you. Make a sense of work. Reveal to us greater wisdom than we have today. Make our hearts sensitive to those around us to see them as your creation as your purpose, as your intent to bring salvation and peace to the people in the community of Gadsden, Alabama. Lord, we pray for diversity. We pray for evangelism. We pray that you reveal in us the things that limit your spirit from seeking out those that are different from ourselves, from presenting the gospel, and not speaking at them, but speaking with them, presenting love in a compassionate way that reveals that peace can only be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ and through his saving grace and by his drawing near and then being put forward on purpose to display the glory of God in a broken world so that even more can come to salvation through them. Lord, make us disciple makers with a diverse background and a great desire to make your name known great in the city of Gadsden, the county of Etowah, the state of Alabama, and in this world. We ask all these things in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Amen. Amen.